welcome to the Luminate Speakeasy podcast, where luminaries from across the planet share their stories of awakening. Hello, and welcome to the Luminate Speakeasy. Today, I have a special guest, Susan Shahada. And Susan, Susan's going to be sharing some stories with us, and I'm going to have you start off just by quickly giving us like a little intro just about who you are, what you do for the, the listeners out there. Thank you, Amy. I like to just start by telling people that I help people clear the hidden obstacles in their home and mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And that's my brief way mm-hmm. <laughs> of saying what I do, because the work I do is it's a little involved in, in the sense that I work with people in a variety of ways. I do work with people's homes and businesses in the form of space consultations. And then I work with individuals to basically clear the core beliefs that are hanging out in their subconscious that are preventing them from living in a way that they would like to live. So I basically help people identify and eliminate those core beliefs uh, through a process called rebirthing breathwork, which is a conscious breath technique that helps people access those things on the cellular level through the breath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm working with people in a variety of ways, but the goal of my work is the same, to clear those hidden obstacles and Mm -hmm. how they're manifesting in their physical environments, in their spaces and and businesses and work spaces in those ways, and then also how they're manifesting in their uh, minds, bodies, spirits. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. And I want to just ask you a few more questions about that work. One that just came to mind that might be nice for the listeners to, have you always... Um, sensed obstacles in spaces. Ah, yes. (laughs) Like what, like as a child even, I'm just curious about that. That's a fun question actually, because I have always enjoyed physical environments and I kind of make this joke about that when I was a child, I made this three ring binder of like what my ideal home was going to look like with little Mm -hmm. like pictures Mm -hmm. and things like that. And I kind of go back and laugh at that because most kids at that age were not thinking about spaces, Mm -hmm. but I was. And I always had an interest in things related to the home. Like when I first started working in retail, I worked in housewares. Mm -hmm. And so there was always this sense of um, feeling a connection to the physical spaces and to the things associated with the home. And as far as the obstacles, I think that that started, I started noticing that as I, my background is varied, so I actually have a degree in theater, um, which kind of comes full circle to helping understand Mm -hmm. what people's stories are and things Mm -hmm. of that nature, but I also have a design degree as part of that theater degree, so my design uh, degree comes from how do you tell a story about somebody's space through Mm. like a set or lighting or costumes or things like that. So I've always had this connection of um, how people's stories are showing up in their physical environments. And you go into somebody's home and you can immediately, well, anyway, I I can, but I think a lot of us can, start to feel what their their space is saying about them. You start Mm -hmm. to figure out the story of their space. And for me, the place that the obstacle shows up is um, my joke also is that I'm Scorpio. Mm -hmm. So Scorpios have this uh, 
this ability to be able to see the thing that isn't working mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it could be used in a way that's really helpful and it can be kind of detrimental because part of it yeah. is you start to focus on like what's not working or mm -hmm. you focus on negativity or things like that so you know you have to find the balance there so I've learned how to use it in a way that um, serves both myself and people that I work with by being able to really just see what's not working for them. Yeah. So that shows up for me in physical environments and then obviously when my uh, breathwork and core belief clients come and see me, they, uh, they benefit from my ability to see what's actually not working. They start yeah. talking to me about what's going on and I have this ability of honing in specifically on where they're stuck mm -hmm. or um, where I'm seeing them, you know, get blocked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And would you say that that ability is um, like a psychic ability? Is it um, just a developed intuition? Do you sense it physically or is it more like you're hearing another part of the story that they're not speaking out loud. And I know that this is a, this can be a complex question because sure when you're intuitive, it's, you know, you're reading sometimes from so many different places. And I think it's all of the above to be frank, because I'm very intuitive and that's helpful because certainly there are things that I wouldn't be able to discern just from walking into a space. I mean, there's things sometimes where I where I just know mm -hmm. because I'll be able to feel out like I'll look at somebody's sofa and be like, okay, what's the deal with the sofa? Mm -hmm. I can tell that something's going on there. Yeah. And I don't have a better explanation besides mm -hmm. pointing to my intuition. But I also think that intuition is based on paying attention to mm -hmm. subtle information mm -hmm. that we're receiving, as I'm sure you know from your own intuition. So I do think it's something that I've also developed as a skill. Um, ironically, my father is a retired scientist, mm -hmm. so I mean, I've always kind of approached things in sort of the scientifically minded way, whether mm -hmm. consciously or unconsciously. It's like I'm trying to um, figure things out or solve things mm -hmm. in kind of that, that manner. So that combination of really just looking for clues, whether they're tangible clues mm -hmm. or intuitive clues, I would say I receive information on both fronts. And as a result of, I've been doing this work for 15 years, mm -hmm. so as a result of just time, mm -hmm. I do think that it's become a, a skill that I've cultivated yeah. over that time. Yeah, for sure. All right. So stories are a part of the work that you do. You work with stories. And I want to hear a story from you about your own personal experience with just waking up or, you know, just having an event or a situation in your life that has kind of turned the light on inside of you in a different way. And some people, you know, when I ask this question, some people are like, I've always been like this. I've always talked to fairies and elves. Sure. Or, you know, they, like that's, it's just always been a part of them. I'm wondering for you if that's the case or if there is a pivotal moment that you can remember that kind of lit you up and, and directed you on a different type of path or just kind of lifted the veils. Yeah. I would say that the veils have been lifting up the entire time, and I don't think they're probably going to stop <laughs> in the sense of that um, when I think about waking up 
um, or having any kind of awakening, I feel like it's constantly a work in progress. Like with everything that's going on, even within our own community right now, I feel like there's opportunities there mm -hmm. for me and for all of us to be waking up to new levels of awareness to mm -hmm. things. You know, there's there's things that have been easy for us to ignore, and now we're staring at them in the face, and now we have to pay more attention. Mm -hmm. And I think that those things happening are... Um, constant reminders that we're, we don't know what we don't know, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, I think there's always this ongoing process of waking up mm -hmm. that's occurring. That being said, I feel like a turning point in my own life was, uh, I would say it wasn't even a one-time thing as much as it was a unfolding that has led to me being able to do the work that I currently do with clients. And I talk about this a little bit on my website, but I call it essentially um, that I realized that I was addicted to suffering. And it's kind of an intense way of, of saying something. But um, for a good portion of my life, I would say that I've, I was more focused on um, I was more focused on what wasn't working mm -hmm. than what was, which mm -hmm. I think comes um, very much into what I was talking about mm -hmm. earlier with um, my nature and all of that. And and I think that, you know, I think it would be easy to try to claim from the seat that I'm in now that it was like, oh, it's just part of my spiritual process mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. But it was much more self-involved than that, mm -hmm. you know? time it was just my you know I was having an experience of um that was just my my own human experience and I was I chose subconsciously as we all do until we become more conscious of the choice um, to really be wrapped up in the story of suffering mm -hmm. and within that we could call it a you know victim consciousness and any other kinds of you know fancy mm -hmm. words that we want to apply to that way of thinking but um in a nutshell, it was that there were things that I'd experienced over the course of my life and I was choosing to really hold those things as my story. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. We have experiences and we identify with those experiences. And then what we do from that point is what leads us to what comes next. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it was a turning point to realize that I was addicted to suffering in the same way that somebody might be addicted to something that's not a mind-based thing, you know, whether it's food or mm -hmm. whether it's shopping or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever it might be. It's the, the addiction was no less real in the sense of that it wasn't just a case of being like, oh, well, now my life's better, so... Mm -hmm. um, so I don't have to feel that way. It was more that I was subconsciously looking for things mm -hmm. that would keep me stuck in this cycle mm -hmm. of not feeling great. Yeah. And the, I think the thing that was tricky about it for me is I think, again, subconsciously, because remember, I'm talking about that all of this was happening on a subconscious yeah. level. I was not walking around going like, I want to suffer. Yeah. I suffer. <laughs> Suffering's great. Yeah. No, it was much more of a case of like, well, of course I'm suffering because this crappy thing is happening. And mm -hmm. then this crappy thing happened. And mm -hmm. I'm still sad about this crappy thing or I'm angry about this, you know. And mm -hmm. it's, um, it's all of those things were happening much more subconsciously. The, the attachment 
you know, the attachment was there because I think sometimes we perceive that if we uh, let it go, that we're somehow pardoning these things that have happened to us. Exactly, yeah. You know, invalidating them yeah. in some way. And we are so attached to the, the idea that these things um, had an impact on us mm -hmm. that we don't even want to let go of, mm -hmm. you know, what, what we're hanging on to. Um, so I also realized as a, as a turning point moment within this is that one of the reasons I was hanging on to this sort of sense of suffering was that I perceived that if other people were suffering, that I needed to suffer too. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, um, again, it wasn't this like martyry thing of like, well, if, as, if other people are suffering, I also want to suffer along with them because I'm not worthy of not suffering. It was much more, a um, like a way of connecting, I think mm -hmm. on some weird yeah. level. Um, I, and I don't really know how weird it actually is because I see this mm -hmm. with my clients a lot is that, um, we perceive, um, that, if somebody else is in a place of suffering, that if we stop suffering, that we'll lose that connection to them, that mm -hmm. we won't actually be able to relate to them. Um, I think it's wrapped up in a lot of different things. I mean, I think that victim consciousness is a, a very strong uh, pull for a lot of us. And so it's hard for us to acknowledge somebody else's suffering without trying to say, but I'm suffering too. Look mm -hmm. at my suffering. Mm -hmm. Look at all this suffering I'm having over here. And as a result of that, um, I think we do the opposite of what maybe we seek to do, which is, I think we, you know, our natures might be to show compassion for other people, but in our mm -hmm. way of showing compassion and connection, we accidentally attach to our own mm -hmm. suffering as yeah. a result of that. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a fairly complex thing that I'm talking about and I don't want to, um, I don't want to try to simplify it by mm -hmm. saying it was something like, I woke up to it and then I mm -hmm. let go of all of it and mm -hmm. now I'm not suffering. <laughs> no, it was much more of an unfolding process in terms of, um, I felt like I was awakened to the pattern and then I still had to and still have to mm -hmm. continue to every day choose to not let that pattern be the dominant mindset. Yeah. And I think that that is um, maybe one of the most important things that we can remember is that it's an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. It's not really something that we um, figure out mm -hmm. about ourselves and then we just change. Yeah, especially with long-standing patterns. And patterns, the pattern that you're talking about too, this addiction to suffering, I think is like a, a human pattern, you know, and some people maybe it's, there's also people who are like, you know, the enthusiastic people who are like, no, life is great. When it's like obvious that life isn't, you know, there's denial yeah. aspects to it. But, but we as a species, I think humans, you know, like it is, there is kind of there's so much suffering on the planet, so it makes me believe that we are addicted as a species, as, a, as, as humans, to suffering. And I'm wondering, and then, um, you know, this piece of belonging that we all crave, we all want to belong, right? And you were talking about that too, like if I'm, if I'm not suffering alongside these people, then I won't really belong 
with these people anymore. Like I might not be in their tribe or, you know, or family, whatever, whatever word you choose to use around that. But, um, and then there's that, that piece of like not belonging too, you know? And so I'm just thinking of this even on the collective level right now. And with um, those of you that are listening in, both Susan and I live in Minneapolis, which is in Minnesota. And there was recently a shooting um, in St. Paul or Falcon Heights. And that's caused a lot of unrest in, in our area, but it's going on all over the planet right now. And so there's a lot of suffering and it's, um, and it's right at the surface and it's right in our face. And so I'm wondering just in terms of, um, I mean, this is such a huge conversation, so we'll try to keep it like really simple, but in terms of suffering, in terms of belonging, in terms of addiction to suffering and the, the human race, <laughs> I'm just wondering if there's something that you, maybe, maybe you draw this from your own awakening process, but something that as like for all of us that are listening in and experiencing right now, like we turn on the TV, we, we go onto Facebook um, you know, we hear about it through just the, the people that we're meeting on the street or our friends. Like, what can we do to not ignore the suffering that is there? Like you said, this compassion piece, but, but like not, not ignoring it, not denying it, but also not maybe adding to that vibration if possible. And is that, is that possible? Am I making sense? <laughs> it's yes. a long-winded question, but yes, just to weave are. in kind of current day mm-hmm. um, situations going on and... Well, you know, I, um, there's a huge question. Yeah, there's a lot to say to that, really, because, um, I think one of the things that was difficult with deciding to do the work that I do and stepping out and being a more, um, public voice on the work of dismantling these core beliefs and these core stories and specifically around this idea of suffering and, uh, is that it could easily come across as righteous, you mm-hmm. know, a little yeah. bit like you are suffering and you need to get over it. And that's why I'm very clear with people that it's a constant work in progress. Mm-hmm. I mean, even to this day, every time that I wake up in the morning and there's some sense of heaviness because of something that I'm experiencing personally or collectively, I have to actively choose how I'm going to respond mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it's also, um, I think, a little, ugh. you know, I'm going to answer it by talking a, a little bit, actually, about the model that I use in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. So I specifically help people, as I mentioned earlier, dismantle their core beliefs. Mm-hmm. And what that means is a core belief is something we feel about ourself, other people, or the world around us. And these core beliefs were formed at a really early age, and the experts on it say that by the time we're five years old, we have these core beliefs that are solid. So everything that we experience in our life is a result of these core beliefs. It's a little bit like the computer program. Mm -hmm. And the, the way that that works, it's not mystical. It's not a case of, you know, a lot of times in new age circles, um, you'll hear this idea, of course, of creating our own reality. What I love about core beliefs uh, and the core belief work is it helps people really see that in a tangible way because a core belief influences our perceptions of reality and our perceptions influence our feelings, our feelings influence our beliefs. Mm-hmm. And that's what's creating, or I'm sorry, our, 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 
feelings influence our behaviors was Mm -hmm. what I was trying to say. And our behaviors are what is creating the response that Mm -hmm. we're getting from the world around us, you know? So through this cycle of belief, perception, emotion, behavior, Mm -hmm. we are creating the world we are experiencing. We're doing that on an individual basis and we're doing that on a collective Mm -hmm. basis. And I think one of the things that's really hard for us to accept is how much personal responsibility we have in the process Mm -hmm. of creating Mm -hmm. our own reality. And that can sound like victim blaming if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm incredibly careful and conscious about these kinds of conversations Mm -hmm. and a little cautious about even trying to answer some of this stuff. Because if you don't know a lot about me or my work or my philosophies, you could easily be misconstrued Mm -hmm. as, oh, so you're telling somebody that it's their fault. Well, no, I'm not. Because Mm -hmm. actually in my paradigm, fault doesn't exist. Like Mm -hmm. there is no blame. There's more of a cause and effect. Mm -hmm. Like I've often given the example of if we're just looking at two like uh, chemical properties and we're saying, you know, oh, you mix this, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't know chemistry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If Mm -hmm. we're going to mix, you know, boron with something else and we Mm -hmm. create an explosion through the mixing of those things, we don't say, oh, you know, it was boron's fault. Mm -hmm. We just say, oh, these two things created this explosion. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of that because um, you realize how much in other ways we can, we can see, um, responsibility or accountability or cause and effect without assigning blame. But Mm -hmm. the minute we start to move that into any kind of um, human (laughs) conversation, people instantly get triggered to this idea that accountability or cause and effect means that you're pointing the finger and Mm -hmm. saying that it was their fault. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. I don't think that core beliefs are something that were even created consciously. Mm -hmm. Most of our core beliefs are coming from Um, unconscious situations and things that were even passed down in our genes. Mm -hmm. So would I fault somebody because their grandparents died in the Holocaust? Would I fault somebody because their brother was shot when they were three? Mm -hmm. No, but both of those experiences and those examples are going to influence what's happening on their subconscious Mm -hmm. core belief level about the world around them, themselves, their families, all of that. So we can't dismiss any of that Mm -hmm. information, you know, or if we do, we're missing the opportunity to really uh, recognize that there is this, um, you know, vital piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. that is contributing to how this person is experiencing life. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, So right there, it's already complex Mm -hmm. (laughs) because now we're talking about, you know, millions of individuals walking around with these individual core beliefs and core stories. And then we start to have how our core stories interact with one another. Mm -hmm. And then we have what I kind of consider like our collective or our global core beliefs and Mm -hmm. core stories. And I do think that there are... um, Some people use different terminology, you know, we might just say certain consciousness exists on the planet or certain, um, you know, there's certain archetypes that Mm -hmm. exist on the planet, sure. So there's a lot of different language we could use around it, but I'd like to um, think of it as kind of our collective core story. So what is our, um, you know, what is our collective beliefs around um, 
being both victims and saviors mm -hmm. and this sort of cycle of that that we play out with one another mm -hmm. on an individual basis and on a collective basis and how is that contributing to um, you know what's happening on a planetary scale mm -hmm. so it's uh, it's complicated it is really complicated <laughs> it was, I knew it was a complicated question and I was just curious but some of the some of the things that I drew out of what you just spoke to because I mean you did you shared a lot of information, but some of the, because I think the question was like, what, what, what can we do? Yeah. You know, or like, mm -hmm. what is it like, is there a way to work with all of this that's happening? Yes. Um, but, but the main thing that I gathered from what you said was personal responsibility. Yes. And that it's, um, and even listening, not to ju just what you said, but what you've said from the very beginning and what you shared about your own story too, of just this personal responsibility of like waking up every morning and, and actually making a conscious choice that I'm responsible for, for how I respond to life today. Yes. Nobody else is. Like I'm the one, I'm the only one living my life and I have to choose how to respond to, to it. And do I want to respond negatively? Do I want to respond with hate? Do I want to respond with anger? Do I want to respond? And of course, if those feelings are real inside of you, they are, but, but to have a moment, a momentary pause where you can maybe choose, you know, that you have choice and some people don't even, aren't even, they're like so traumatized that they might not even believe that they have a choice, even around choosing emotions or choosing different responses or that that's even a possibility. Um, and then let's see, actually those two things I think, and, and I want to also just like reemphasize this point that you said too, like no blame. Right. Like no fault. Like how one of the teachers I studied with for a long, long time, Leonard Jacobson, he'd always say like, how could you be any other way than how you are right now? How could you be based on, based on where you've been up until this point? How could you be any other way? Like it was like a really no blame, complete acceptance of where you are with your core stories, how you're responding or all of that. But, um, so I don't know if you want to add anything else to that, but I really like that idea of just like bringing it all home to that most simplest piece of like, I am responsible for myself and I'm responsible for my life and I'm responsible for how I respond to things. And is it, is it like negative or positive or is it contributing or is it like <laughs> destroying or being destructive or, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so... I think that uh, personal responsibility is huge. It's one of the um, primary teachings that I bring forward to my clients. And I think that it's worthwhile to say as a part of personal responsibility is uh, how, most, how much most of us have to eliminate our judgment in order to get to a place where we can take personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. Because if we are judging ourselves, we're not going to... Um, be able to hold ourselves accountable mm -hmm. for being for having a certain quality or being mm -hmm. a certain way like um there's a story I often share with clients about that when I was young I was told by like some kid in school you know oh you talk too much you know mm -hmm. and so for a long time because it was clear that he meant it in an insulting way I 
refused to accept it as a quality that I had. So it was like, I pushed that quality away. I was like, I'm not that. Mm -hmm. I don't talk too much. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't until I grew up and realized, okay, well, the truth is actually you do talk a lot. <laughs> and you can use that in a way that's both a gift mm -hmm. and there are ways that that could limit you. Mm -hmm. And there are ways that it was currently limiting me. You know, it affected my ability to listen. Mm -hmm. So by accepting the quality as neutral, mm -hmm. I was able able to see in the ways that it was serving me and the ways that it wasn't serving me. And I try to encourage my clients to use that kind of language versus good and bad yeah. also. And I mean, sometimes people perceive it as semantics, but I think that it, it may indeed be semantics, but it's something that plays on our psychology a little bit because um, good and bad, it's so easy for us to, again, mm -hmm. create value judgment around it. Whereas, you know, I recognize that it served me as I'm a speaker, I'm a writer, you know, I've been radio show mm -hmm. host. I use my words in a way that have been in service to both myself and other people. And if I'm using too many words and I'm not giving the space for uh, deep listening mm -hmm. and all of that, I'm also limiting the experiences I'm having and mm -hmm. that other people are having of me. And so, um, once I was able to uh, neutralize it and see it, I could really shift it. Mm -hmm. And so I use that as an example because I feel like when we um, put judgment around a quality, we, we push the quality away. And if we're pushing the quality away, we can't do anything to shift it. Yeah. So if we don't accept... Um, so I'm going to just bring it back full circle to something that we're having a collective conversation with in our country right now, mm -hmm. racism. Mm -hmm. If we don't understand that we are carrying some racist beliefs mm -hmm. and some um, racist behaviors, mm -hmm. we can't shift those things. Mm -hmm. Now, some people have no desire to shift it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's their deal. Yeah. But for those of us who are interested and sincerely interested in shifting it, you have to accept the parts of you that are, yeah. you know, um, that are doing that, that are believing certain things. And until you do accept that without judgment of yourself, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to shift those behaviors. Mm -hmm. So I do think that the personal responsibility piece is huge. But as I kind of touched on earlier, because of this thing we go to with blame and mm -hmm. shame and all of this stuff, we, um, I feel like we don't want to take personal responsibility because immediately we just go into this blame and self-judgment mm -hmm. and we don't even want to identify with the things mm -hmm. that we, you know, mm -hmm. perceive could be negative. Mm -hmm. yep. So I think that's a huge piece and I just feel like it's important to speak to it because otherwise it's very difficult for yeah. us to um, own anything yep. about ourselves. Yeah, no, that, that's a awesome point, neutralizing all of because yeah, self-hate is is a heavy thing that most of us can experience. And um, so like if you were owning something, like if you realize like, oh my gosh, like I'm having, I have these racist tendencies around this, you know, which I think collectively uh, there's so many getting woken up, like deep seated ones that probably we've just, just by being in the USA, you know, like, right. like you've just absorbed them. Um, so as those kind of rise to the surface and you're, you're like, whoa, okay, like that, that was inside of me. And yeah. it's been functioning maybe on an unconscious level. And is there a way, one, to just like, I mean, obviously, even to get to that point where it can rise, there must be some kind of baseline level of acceptance for yourself or love for yourself despite the story. And also knowing you're not the story or you're not the beliefs either. That's not really who you are ultimately. Um, do you think that's the best way to neutralize things? Or is it there? Is there like a something you can say to yourself or... Um, 
if you experience something coming up and you notice, like, is it, is it pretty likely that if you find yourself feeling really defensive about something, is that a good indicator that? Yes. <laughs> that I'm always going to say yes to that because our emotional responses are usually triggering something about our core beliefs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you said something earlier that I kind of wanted to um, touch on, but, um, but we've kind of digressed is you said something about sometimes you feel what you feel and then you know you can't help feeling what you feel or um, or sometimes some or, people I know don't feel like they have choice yes mm-hmm. exactly and so I think it's important to distinguish between feeling things and then uh, behaving or acting or reacting from those places because I'm a I'm a big feeler mm-hmm. you know I'm a water sign for God's mm-hmm. sake we feel things very deeply <laughs> intensely too as a Scorpio <laughs> yes. intensely and passionately and um, and so one of the things I would never discourage is feeling what comes up it's just then what I kind of point to because. Um, because I see the, the core belief cycle happens in the circular kind of motion. So, um, so when we're in a place of feeling, we can either um, move forward on the circle toward behavior or we can stop in that moment of feeling and look backwards on the circle toward the perceptions that led us to that feeling. Mm-hmm. And so that's that moment that you're talking about are mm-hmm. depending on... Um, depending on what we what we feel like is that an indication that something's kind of up and I would say that when it comes to being conscious of things it's very difficult for us to go back to a core belief and just change it Mm -hmm. so for example if if it's like I realize I have this bias you know I can't just change the bias or if I realize I have this uh, belief that I'm unlovable or I'm unsafe Mm -hmm. it's um, it's near impossible to go back and just Mm -hmm. say I'm safe, Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, if only it were that yeah, easy. Exactly. But what I do invite people to recognize is that we, um, we are more likely to be able to perceive things once it becomes a emotional reaction or a behavioral response. Mm-hmm. Those are the ways that are much more tangible yeah. and w- ways that we can start to see, okay, in this situation, I um, usually react this way, or in this situation, um, I'm consistently feeling this way. What is that based on? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that, um, you know, what is that coming from in terms of what perception and what thoughts and ultimately what core belief is that coming from? And so it's an opportunity in those moments to use those emotional reactions or behavioral responses as um, ways to wake us up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Ultimately, the goal is that we just are paying attention all the time to all the little subtle things, but you know, that that's mm-hmm. very unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, I shared a story recently on Facebook about how I was um, reading an article um, to my uh, stepdaughter and I referenced the writer as a man. And then as I finished reading the article, I was like, oh, this is written by a woman. Mm-hmm. And immediately I was like, why did I think that this was written by a man? Like, mm-hmm. was it the, you know, the... Um, publication it was in or the tone of voice that was used and here I am a a writer who Mm -hmm. is a woman and I was like wow it's just it's such a testament to how deep those unconscious biases lie Mm -hmm. and because I had that reaction so I'm going to call that kind of like a behavioral Mm -hmm. reaction I'm continuing to kind of look at that and go well what what was that based on what Mm -hmm. perceptions was I making in that situation um you know or what um what what core belief is really at the at the heart of mm-hmm. that, you know? Um, 
it's it's fascinating when we are willing to do the work mm -hmm. of stopping in the moment and looking at what might be influencing us. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes when I'm observing how people are reacting to other people who are sharing things online, especially with all of the stuff that has been going on in our community, it's easy for me on the outside to be like, wow, that person's core belief is that they're not safe. Mm -hmm. And this person's core belief is that they are not valued. Mm -hmm. And this person's core belief is they are not heard. And if you don't feel heard, then, um, you know, even the way that you respond to other people is from this place of I'm not being heard, mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, it's... Um, and again, none of these core beliefs are inherently good or bad. You know, it's not, it's not about judging the core beliefs at all. It's just about being able to recognize that these core beliefs exist. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then how are we going to change them? Well, we, we can't change the world at once. Like, I think that there's so many people hap uh, so many people in the world right now that are saying, what can we do? How can mm -hmm. we talk about what's going on? How can we change this cycle of violence that we're in? And yet so many people are unwilling to look at how they individually are contributing to mm -hmm. that on a day-to-day -day basis with their thoughts, words, and mm -hmm. deeds. Yeah. And so if we can't do it individually, how do we ever expect that we're going to do it collectively? Mm -hmm. I really definitely feel like it's microcosm, macrocosm, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, yeah, I do feel like there are a lot of great uh, techniques to becoming more conscious on a day-to-day -day level. And I would say full circle back to the beginning part of your question and my answer is looking, um, looking at what those triggers are and recognizing mm -hmm. that if you are triggered in a way, especially with anger or sadness or things like that, powerlessness, what is that, um, what is that actually about? And mm -hmm. what inside of you do you need to mm -hmm. attend to Mm -hmm. in order to um, clear mm -hmm. that pattern for mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like when you were talking to, I was hearing also like the pain and the suffering is a wake-up call. And, and for most of us, it's usually through pain and suffering that we get to the place where, okay, I have to look at this. I have to look inside. I have to figure this out because the suffering is too much. You know, yeah. I'm at my wit's end. Absolutely. So I'm ready for change. And okay, I've tried everything externally to change how I'm feeling and nothing's working. So now I have to go inside and actually uproot some of these, these core stories and these core beliefs. And, and yeah, like... it's an uncomfortable process. And I think that, um, I, I think that retrospectively, I'm very grateful for the experiences that I've had, um, because I feel like it puts me in a position to, uh, work with clients who specifically feel like, um, life's always dealt me this hand or I've always felt this way because I think it's easy when people are suffering to look at somebody else who's telling them or guiding them um, and say, well, what do you know? Mm -hmm. You know, you've probably always been happy or you've probably mm -hmm. never had anything difficult happen to you or anything like that. And that's why I make no secret of this, of this history I had mm -hmm. of this, uh, this attachment mm -hmm. to uh, this place of suffering because I feel like uh, my ultimate wake up was like, actually, if I stay in this place, it's going to not only keep me limited, but I'm not going to be able to really help other people mm -hmm. either. And now I feel like I can help other people because I can help them through um, actually being able to say, I've been there mm -hmm. and this is, um, this is what I have learned mm -hmm. through that process. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's not, 
it's not a case of just, um, you know, I've always been happy and now mm -hmm. I want you to be happy too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Most, I feel like almost anybody in the healing field has probably arrived here through some kind of suffering and deep self-inquiry, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's Absolutely. kind of like the path almost like to, to being able to help other people, to share it with other people. Um, do you have any, like, do you want to like bring it all together? Is there any like little nugget that you want to leave with the listeners? Um, like as they, as they, you know, go <laughs> flip back onto Facebook or turn the news on and, you know, hear about whatever next strategy might, might, might be, you know, up on the screen. Um, yeah. So in regards to the times right now is like, what little nugget can they use? Yeah, I, I think what the nugget I would like to stress is the importance of identifying what um, core beliefs or core stories somebody is operating from. Somebody mm -hmm. meaning you, the listener. If you, um, if you know what your story is, you have just so much more um, compassion towards yourself and other people because you, uh, you recognize your biases a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You understand that you're being triggered and activated because it's it's something within mm -hmm. your own story. And as a result of that awareness, it makes you more able to move through the world um, in a place uh, um, that's going to ultimately bring you less suffering mm -hmm. and ultimately bring other people less suffering. Mm -hmm. So I really uh, would stress just the importance of becoming aware of what it, you know, what is that story? Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, methods to get there and uh, modalities that will help people explore that, whether that's talk therapy mm -hmm. or different kinds of holistic healing, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, there's a lot of different approaches that people mm -hmm. can take, but but your story is everywhere. It's mm -hmm. in your space. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, it's, you can even just reflect on it in this moment by thinking about like, what are the major themes that you've experienced over the course of your life? Mm -hmm. Have it, has it been around abandonment? Has it been around safety? Has it mm -hmm. been, you know, there's, um, there, there are usually themes that mm -hmm. we can, um, that we can find if we're paying attention. And I would point you to look at what those themes are and start to see if you don't already have that awareness of what your operating system mm -hmm. might be because it will start to change your life once you become conscious of it. Mm -hmm. And Susan gives one-on-one -on -one private sessions to help you <laughs> learn about your core beliefs and your story. So, And I'll have that information on, on here so people can reach out to you. It's just susanshahada.com, but yes. that will be on the on the blog post with this and yeah I, thank you so much for yeah. sharing so much and like letting me throw those like really big yeah. <laughs> questions at you and just going with it Absolutely. this is all kind of like there's not really a plan so you did amazing bringing all of your wealth of wisdom to this podcast and just sharing every little little thing that you could bring bring forth to help the people that are listening and obviously offer me insight too. So thank yeah. you so much. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate it. And thanks for listening. And I'll catch you next time on the next Luminate Speakeasy podcast. Bye.